is so great to be here today. What a spirit of celebration that's in our house here today. I mean, between just the opportunity to honor some great leaders that God has had in our midst for many years to recognize their calling, their role here, just to the worship and experiencing the presence of God. It has been a great day. You know, there's great things that are happening here in our church. And I want to encourage you. I know that there was uh, an announcement uh, probably a couple times over, but I just want to emphasize today to encourage you to invite somebody to come to church next Sunday on Easter Sunday. It is such an open opportunity for so many people. And here, I'll tell you a trick that really helps make or helps people decide to, to come with you. Tell them you'll pick them up. Say, you know what, I'm going to stop by your house if you'd like, and I will bring you here. Why? Why do we do this? Because God, first of all, has changed our lives, and I'm believing that God wants to change other people's lives. Are you with me on that? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, today, we are going to conclude our series uh, called Money Matters. And I want to say this, the question sometimes that comes up is, why are we talking about money, especially at church? Well, because I believe this, the way that we handle our money and our possessions does matter. In fact, chances are we all experience money troubles at some point in our life. You know, things don't really go the way that you'd like them to. Maybe you've experienced losing a job. I know that, that that is a very painful and difficult thing, and it produces a lot of stress on people. Or maybe you've made this mistake. I know that I have. You loaned somebody some money, and they didn't pay you back. And so you have to deal with your feelings and your thoughts and even the lost revenue that you have Maybe you've been in a place where, where things have just gotten a little bit crazy and you've neglected to pay some bills. Or maybe you've purchased more than you can afford. I know last week I talked about the purple gorilla of debt. That when we purchase more than we can afford, it weighs us down. It strangles us. It, it suffocates the life outside of us and limits us from being able to be generous. Well, I had a story where when I first was married, uh, uh, we were probably like a lot of couples, my wife and I, we didn't have very much, many resources. And one of the things that we wanted to do, we wanted to purchase for one of our very first items that we were going to buy. Right now, this is going to date me, it's going to age me, some of you will relate to this. We wanted to get a brand new VCR. Who here remembers the old VCR? Who here owns a VCR? You still, you still got one. I, I, I do in my basement. In fact, the other day, listen to this, I had the cable guy was over fixing, repairing our cable, and he's like, hey, hey, I see that you got a VCR. And I was like, yeah. He's like, you know, those are worth a lot of money. And I was like, great, I'll sell it to you. How does that sound? But back in the day, we, we, we wanted a VCR, and we didn't have the money to it. And so we fell for one of those, those things where it was like, you can have the VCR today, but you have six months to pay. Now you start reading it, the fine print was like, look, if you don't pay it by this date, X number of penalties, interest is going to come, come out your way. So we paid about $350 for this VCR. I mean, it was a great VCR. It was top of the line. It was amazing. I know you're like, there is no such thing as that, Pastor Todd. Well, so here's what happened. Um, I thought that I would be able to pay for it with my income tax return. Well, the only problem was, and I didn't realize this till later, that I had just um, 
become a resident of Canada, and I was filing my taxes in Canada for the very first time. And so as I was waiting for the tax return to come, I waited a, a few days, some weeks, and then it was month after month after month. Well, I finally ended up calling Revenue Canada, and I said, what's, what's going on here? And they said, well, you're a new in our system. We do your taxes last. We do everybody else's first. I was like, ah, I've got this $350 VCR that, that I got to pay for. When is it going to come? Well, sure enough, the date came and went, and I didn't have my tax return. You want to know how much that VCR ended up costing me? Over 600 bucks. I think I bought one of the most expensive VCRs on the planet. And to rub salt in the wound, the tax return came two days after the date occurred. I was just like, oh, Lord, why? The reality is this. How we handle our money will either bring us freedom or put us in a place of great difficulty. That if we do not manage our money well, it will rob us of peace joy, and blessings, and the freedom the way that God intended for us to live. My heart today is that every one of you today will live with freedom the way God's intended you to live. You see, the reality is this. We all do need money. Would you agree with that? We have to pay rent or mortgages. We, we need to buy groceries. We, we have bills that we, we need to pay. And at the end of the day, we all need some money. However, money is not the problem. Money can expose our problems. You see, when we have money, it reveals what's in our heart or what controls our heart. I can tell you what's important to you by where you spend your money. It's really an easy thing to discover or find. You see, either you will control your finances or they will control you. Now, we don't, and I want to say this today because we've shared this each week I'm preaching this series not because we want something from you. We want something for you. I want to see God's best in your life. I believe that God wants to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. And my message is titled today, Beyond You. Your life, your giving, your legacy goes beyond you. Now, to begin with, we need to go over some principles that we've shared each week. That first of all, if you are wanting to be somebody who honors God with your finances, your resource, and your life, you have to understand that everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. Everything in this planet, everything on this earth really belongs to him. We are stewards of what he's given us, not owners. Secondly, God wants each one of us to be generous. Why? Because God is generous. God was so generous. We, we, I, I love this season that we get to celebrate Easter Sunday next week, and I'm excited about what, what God has put on my heart to share with you for Easter, for the Easter season. But we know this, that God was so generous that he gave Jesus, his one and only son, to give his life for us. That God loves us and, and provides for us in more ways than we can even imagine. And because God is generous, he wants his children to be generous as well. But it is impossible to be generous unless you're a good manager or steward of what God has given you. You see, you will either live in one of two cycles. The first cycle is the scarcity cycle. 
where you have more month than you have money. And it works like this. Every week or biweekly or once a month, every one of us receives a paycheck or some sort of income. And what we do with this determines which cycle we're going to live in. You see, we all get But if we live in this scarcity cycle, what we tend to do is look at all of our own needs and our situations and we consume our money on things that we feel like are important. And typically what happens is we fall into a trap, many of us, where we we sometimes spend more than we can and we, we get into the debt cycle and all of a sudden it begins to weigh us down. And because we spend more than we have, we end up lacking. And because we lack, we end up having worry and frustration and anxiety in our lives. It's a vicious cycle. But God calls us to live in the generosity cycle. We get the same paycheck, the same amount of money. And what do we do with it? Well, if we say that we love God and we want to honor God, we give. And then what does God do? Because he's a great father. He gives more back to us. And what happens? Our faith increases and we become more excited about being generous. And a cycle repeats itself. A blessed life, I believe, is a generous life. So why then is giving so important. Giving reminds me again that what I have belongs to God. What's in my possession is not really mine. I'm managing resources for the benefit of the other, for another God. So his will, his desires are what are important. Secondly, giving helps me to fight selfishness and greed. Now I gotta be honest, I like taking care of me. I have things that I like. I I, I have things that I want to do with my life. And if I'm left all to myself, I will just take care of myself. Because why? I like myself and I want myself to have fun and good things and all of that stuff. And the problem is, is if I'm not careful, because money and possessions aren't necessarily bad, I can begin to think only about myself. And what giving and generosity does is it takes the focus off me and puts it on God and other people, which is a healthy thing. Thirdly, giving connects me more deeply to others in the faith community. I don't know about you, but it's almost hard for me to remember what life was like before smartphones and wireless internet. Do you remember those days? How did we talk to each other? How did we get a hold of each other? I think we become used to being able to see things that we want in a moment's notice, like the news or what's going on with our our sports team. We can, in a minute, go on our smartphone or on our computer at home, and we can find out what's going on with things all around the world. We don't have to leave our house anymore to go shopping. I don't know about you. Have you ever been a a stay-at-home shopper? Things have gotten so convenient for us that you know that you can now order McDonald's online and they'll deliver it to you right where you're at. That's scary to me. (laughs) I love and despise it at the same time. I miss a certain level of privacy in my life. But I also love being able to connect with people and events in real time. A few weeks ago, we had a modern crisis in our house. Our internet went out for almost a week. My kids thought the world was coming to an end. They were like, 
Dad, you've got to call the cable company. You've got to get them over here right now. I, I can't see updates on my Facebook or my Instagram account. I don't know what's going on with my friends. I have two teenagers, by the way. You see, we were created to be connected with God, with people, and with everything around us. We were designed to be connected together through what, and I believe this because I want to talk today about our, our giving and how it relates to us as the church, that we are called to be and designed to be connected together in the church. In the books, book of Acts, we have an account of the birth of a new community called the church in Acts chapter 2. This is one of my favorite portion of scriptures. I've probably used it in places in a couple messages throughout this year already. Why? Because it's such a foundational thing to me to see when God called people together to this new thing called the church. And here's what happened in Acts chapter 2. It says, all the believers, in verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. One of my great passions, if you've been around me much or you've heard me talk much, is that I love coaching team sports. I, I love being a part of coaching kids and young people in baseball and basketball. You see, for me, it's one of those places, and my wife has really just discovered this even more recently, it's a place where I really kind of recharge my batteries. It's where I can disconnect from my, the normal pressures of life, and I'm, as I'm giving to those kids, I forget for a few moments, and please forgive me, I'm, I forget for a few moments what's going on all around here. And I come out of it, and I feel excited. But one of the things that I love seeing is a group of individuals with their different skills and abilities to come together to make a team. And what I've learned over the years is even though there might be some better players, people that have maybe a bit more skill, a bit more height or size or strength, you sometimes can have people that are really good at things. The teams that are really successful are those who come together and use those talents and abilities all together. You see, you're only as strong as your weakest link when it comes to a team. You see, each member of the team has to do their part, which usually requires self-sacrifice and a desire to see everyone succeed. It's why we love watching hockey this time of year, because we get to see people that maybe are stars that become other parts of the team so that their team can eventually win the Stanley Cup, which we're hoping the Calgary Flames will, uh, you know, they'll do that, right? I mean, all right. I, I don't know who God's favorite team is, but I know who my favorite team is. When you look at the early church in this scripture, it was a team of people that were connected together by what their love for Jesus you have to understand that these weren't people that normally you would have probably put together. They were a mishmash of people. 
The Holy Spirit had come down. Peter had preached a great message. And all of a sudden, it says that two or 3,000 people became the church. And these people were, well, well, well who were they? Well, they were, first of all, Jews that, that, that had discovered who Jesus was and now were outlaws in their own community. Why? Because anybody that associated with the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and said that he was the Lord of their life was in complete violation of honoring Caesar. They, 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 you now became an outlaw. There were also Roman citizens who were stationed in Jerusalem uh, that, that had become f- believers that were around this and foreigners who had been away from home either for business or maybe they were even slaves that were serving people that were in their community. And all of a sudden, God shows up and the church forms. As they matured, they grew in their love for each other, giving their hearts and their resources to meet the needs of one another and to see the kingdom of God extended. You see, there's some incredible things that happen here that I'm going to share quickly. First, they met together daily. You think we have church a little too much? They met with each other every single day. And then they shared what they owned with each other. They were generous. And what happened? We saw that the power of the Holy Spirit was evident in their midst. Signs and wonders. People getting healed, delivered, set free. It was an exciting time. People became followers of Jesus. And then there was a sense of this awe and wonder and blessing followed them. And God continued to add to their numbers. You see, generosity connects us and goes beyond us. It teaches us the importance of community. You see, I believe this, that the church reminds us that the importance of community and how God sees community. Now, one of the things that we value in Canada, one of our, the things that we value about people is this word called individualism, which is defined as the right of each person to exercise personal freedom in one's choices, goals, and desires. The rights of the individual are deemed more important than the will of the community when it comes to personal expression, morality, sexuality, and culture. We see that going on around us right now. Now, in its best form, individualism is a good thing in that it, it, it says that every single human being has value. Who would agree with me that that's a good thing? That every person on the earth has great value and purpose, that God loves them. But when it gets into its raw or its, its negative side, is that it, 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 its weakness is it fails to, to recognize the impact that individuals have or their decisions have on people and the community. What I do is none of your business is would be an individualistic attitude. The way that I live, the things that I'm doing in my life, you shut up, you don't say anything because it really doesn't matter what's going on in my life. I'm not hurting anybody, we're not hurting anyone. And that becomes more important than maybe the customs and the, 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 the will of the community. In Jewish society, it was different. The rights of individuals were superseded by the expectations of the community. When a young man turned 13, when he was a boy, he was welcomed into the community as a man. No longer was he looked at as just this little individual who 
could do what he wanted and live under the kind of the protection of his parents' house. He was expected when he went through his bar mitzvah to honor the customs, traditions, and religious beliefs of the community. The benefits were that he now had a voice. He could speak into the, 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 the government. He could speak into the, the town councils. He could even teach in the temple if he had the training for it. He was now given a voice, but he was expected to honor and help the community continue to be healthy and strong. And violations of the customs and traditions were taken seriously as they threatened order and could bring shame or even or punishment on the person because of what it did to the community. Now, why am I sharing this? Because when it comes to our life, our own life, we start off with God dealing with us individually. Salvation is an individual experience. Each one of us has to make a decision to make Jesus the center of our life. We have to accept his love and his forgiveness. And as we begin to grow, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, begins to deal with the sin and the weaknesses and the attitudes in our life. And we begin to grow and mature because God wants us to be strong and healthy people. But as we move forward, God has a design for us that, that, that our that, that that we would live together in an ecosystem of cause that, that oh, excuse me, I got this, that our loving, our giving, our living, and even our sitting not only impacts us, but impacts other people. You see, God loves the church. God cares for the church. Why? Because Jesus loves people. God has a desire to see that the church is strong and healthy. Why? Because God wants us to be healthy and strong together. When we bless the church, we bless what Jesus loves and we open his favor upon our lives. Does that make sense? So what does that mean for giving and generosity? How should we approach giving and generosity? Well, I believe these three things I want to share with you as I close here today. First of all, I believe that God's design for us is that we give where we live. We give where we live. Now, in Malachi, which is the last book of the Bible, the writer talks about giving a tithe or the first part of our resources to the storehouse. And I know that when we talk about this scripture, many times people can become uncomfortable. But I want you to look at this a little differently. Many times when this scripture is taught, it's taught in the context of how it affects us as individuals. But the reality is, when this scripture was written, Malachi wasn't speaking to individuals, but he was speaking to the nation of Israel, that collectively they had lost their way when it comes to how they were responding to God. So he says this in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, bring all of the tithes into the storehouse that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test, he says. You see, I believe this, and I've shared this over the last few weeks. I believe that the first part of our income belongs to God. What is the first part? The first part we could be considered in this scripture the tithe, which simply means 10%. Now, I want you to hear this today. My goal isn't to convince you that my way is the only way. 
I know there are a lot of people that think that tithing was an Old Testament custom. But can we all agree on this, that giving is something that God requires of everybody? That generosity is part of his nature and he wants us to walk with him in that. So I, as, a, as a practicing tither, I believe this at the first 10% of all of my income goes back to God. I make $100, I give $10 back to God. Why do I say give it back to God? Because it's all his anyways. I mean, everything is his. And he allows me to use the other 90% for things that I need. Or many times challenges me even to give more to people in need, the church or organization as the Holy Spirit leads me. Now, what is important here is not that we sit there and go, well, am I a tither or not a tither? I've already said this. The important thing is that we become regular givers, that we start with something to be consistent and to listen to God as he challenges you in this area of your life. You see, my impersonal, uh, you see, I believe this, that, that if you look at Acts 2, you look at the people that were here together, they weren't just giving 10% of their life, they were giving their whole life to each other. And I believe that God's design and desire for us is that that's how we would receive what he's called us to be and that we would live our lives that way towards each other. I also believe this, that the first part of our income blesses the rest, that God can do more with what we still have if we honor him first, that he can do more with 90% of our income than we can do with 100%. Now here's where I believe God's speaking to us when I said give where you live. I believe the first part goes to the storehouse. Well, what is our current storehouse? I believe it is the local church. It's where we're attending. We come here each week and we gather together. This is our community. And I believe that God's saying, first of all, we're to give to our community where we're living. Not only does it allow us to help people in need, but it also releases more of God's spiritual bread or food for our souls. Why does that happen? Well, I believe that Jesus said in the Bible, man doesn't live on what alone? Bread alone. He said, but I am the bread of life. I believe that when we honor God, that he allows his word even to go deeper into our hearts and that we are open to receiving more of what God has for us, that it provides even a greater blessing. You see, where, when you give your resources to the church, I believe it does some important things. First of all, it, or it helps us to meet the needs of people everywhere. I mean, we're talking today about Pastor Wilner and Leonora and what they're doing in the Philippines. I believe today that God wants to release more resources to touch that nation. Secondly, it provides for the needs of uh, the building and the, and the leaders that are here because we do have needs, but it also releases greater blessing into our lives. I believe it opens the heavens of blessing and my question would be, who doesn't want to see a greater open heaven of blessings in our lives? I think we all would like to see that. But it's not only where you give, it's how you give. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7 and 8, that you must each decide in your own heart how to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully and will generously provide all you need. 
Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with each other. (laughs) You know, he didn't say if you give. He said when you give. I want you to do it with a willing heart. I want you to be a cheerful, celebratory giver. Why? Because uh, God wants not only our, 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 our resources, he doesn't only want our obedience, but he wants our hearts. God loves our hearts. He wants our hearts. He doesn't want just lip service, worship. I don't know about you, but have you ever been around your children when you are speaking to your kids and they've been fighting with each other, they've been bickering, and you tell your kids, you know, I want you to give your brother or your sister a hug, and I want you to tell them that you love them. And what do they do? I love you. Oh, you didn't mean it. You need to mean it. You need to, you need to believe it. You need to do it with with. Some heart. Oh, do it again. I love you. You see, we can get into a place many times where we look at what we're doing as a have to. Well, I, I, I have to do this. We forget, as we've talked about, that it's not a have to, it's a get to. We are so blessed as people that we get to be givers and generous because of what God has already done for us. You see, I believe that the sacrifice should turn to joy when we remind ourselves of what God has done for us, what he has given us. When we cheerfully give, the Bible promises us we'll not only have what we need, but we'll have more left over to be a blessing to other people. Because God loves people. We don't give to get, but we get to give. You see, not only this, the last thing I want to share is that we give to something that's bigger than ourselves. Generosity allows us to do more together than we could ever do on our own. It allows us to impact people and even nations, some of whom we know, some people we know, and others we will never meet until we get to heaven. You see, when my generosity joins with your generosity, resources begin to multiply. My little bit and your little bit are powerful together. I want to show you the power of multiplication here today. I brought with me the smallest coin you can now get in Canada, a nickel. Now, if somebody gave me a nickel or I gave you a nickel, who here would agree the nickel wouldn't probably buy very much? I don't even know if there's five-cent candies anymore. There used to be. But you couldn't do very much with it. But what if everybody in Canada were to give me a nickel, how much money would that be? Anybody have any idea? Let's, let's, let's give a nice, easy number. Let's say that, uh, I know Canada has about, some say between 32 and 36 million people. Let's say that's 30 million people. If 30 million people gave one nickel, what would it be? Do you have any accountants here? S- somebody's on their phone. It's $1.5 million dollars. Who here thinks that much could be accomplished with $1.5 million? But all everybody would have to give is a nickel. I wish that was my taxes. That would be great. One nickel. You see, when we give it together, it allows us to do much more than we can do on our own, is what I'm trying to say. It allows our giving to go beyond ourselves. It involves you and I 
being a part of something that's greater than ourselves, and it blesses our community and establishes a lasting testimony. You see, I believe this, that it releases to the world the goodness and the greatness of God. You see, in a few moments, we're going to have an opportunity to give support to Wilner and Leonore if God speaks to your heart. You see, I believe this, that your generosity will impact people that many of us will never see. But I want to ask a few questions. Before we do that, maybe God has been challenging you here today. Maybe you realize that God is speaking to you about your generosity. Maybe the Lord is speaking to you about what you're doing with your, with your resources in your life. Maybe you realize you haven't always been the, a cheerful giver. Maybe you've fallen into a, a place where you, you do things, you do do it, but you're reluctant in it. But you want to start today afresh and anew honoring God with what he has given to you. You want to see the whole community blessed and a greater impact not only on Calgary, but around the whole world.